Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you joining us uh, online, no matter what venue you're in. Thanks for being a part of the Christ Chapel uh, family. So glad to worship with you today. Uh, wanted to give you an update. We just went on elder retreat this past, uh, we just got back uh, yesterday, a uh, wonderful time. Uh, those of you that were praying for us, thank you for doing so. Wanted to give you an update. I know you just took up uh, an offering at all of our venues. Wanted to give you an update on the end of year uh, giving. We uh, started to earmark some of those funds and get those deployed as you gave to the different initiatives where we talked about connecting the dots in different ways. And so have some exciting things that you'll be hearing about in the coming weeks regarding uh, Israel, regarding South Campus, et cetera. But wanted to tell you one of those was uh, funding the post-college internship uh, where we could give uh, graduates an opportunity, college graduates, an opportunity to pursue uh, their calling to see if they're called into vocational ministry. And through your generosity, your generous giving, uh, we're able to fully fund that TCU uh, post-college internship. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You'll probably be seeing them around uh, as they graduate next year, but that's exciting that we can go ahead and begin to have uh, those conversations and get those in place. So thank you for playing a part in end-of-year uh, giving. Okay, uh, everybody knows what next Sunday is. What is next Sunday? Super Bowl Sunday. It has taken on that moniker. That Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And what uh, I've learned is that there was a Sunday in January that has taken on a moniker as well that I, I didn't know about. And that is the first Sunday in January is called Dating Sunday. Did you know this? Anybody? Yeah, it's taken on this moniker, Dating Sunday. And the reason why it's taken on that name, that title, is because there is more activity on dating apps on that Sunday than any other Sunday of the year. On that particular Sunday, this, this was January 7th, but on the first Sunday in January, 22% more messages were sent on that Sunday uh, photos were uploaded 2,263 per minute were uploaded onto dating apps and people responded to messages 19.4 minutes faster than any other Sunday. The first Sunday in January has taken on this moniker of, of, of dating Sunday. Now, there are different theories as to uh, why that is. Some say it's because of New Year's resolutions, which is certainly a true or certainly possible. Uh, another one is because uh, people have gotten out of the holidays and they've gotten back into kind of the routine. And you've gotten into the routine and you're like, I don't want to be in that routine. Or uh, they, were, they wanted somebody of significance in that way, a significant other to spend the holidays with. Or they were tired of their aunt or uncle asking them when they're going to find somebody, get married or whatnot. I don't know what those reasons are, and many people speculate, but it points to the fact that uh, many people want to be in a relationship. And I think that's not just true of those who join dating apps. I think that's, that's true of all of us. All of us want to be in relationships, but we want to be in real relationships, and in fact, as I was researching all of those statistics, uh, many of the articles that I read uh, had kind of tips or tidbits of, of how to approach uh, Dating Sunday. And, and the main thing that was on all of those things, I mean, pretty much number one tidbit was be real. Like, 
upload a real photo of yourself, you know, that, that it's really you. And, and also, like, be real about the things that you're interested in. I mean, if you're not interested in dogs, then don't post a photo with a dog. You know, that, 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 there's a term for that out there. I can't remember what it was called. But um, you, you, be real about your interests. Be real about your aspirations. Be real about who you are. Now, we all know that when you're real, that's a risk. There's a huge risk in being real because if we are really us, we don't know if people want the real us. And that's a, that's a, that's a risk, and that's why people are afraid to be real, whether it's on a dating app or whether it's just in real life. We, we are all afraid of being real because we're all afraid of being rejected. Because if we show the real us and that's not accepted, that really hurts. And so that's why people create these perfect profiles, whether it's on a dating app or in, just in real life. You try to create this, this perfect profile that you believe that somebody will accept, but that is a crushing weight to live under, to try to live up to that perfect profile. We, we can't live up to that. You can't live up to that. We come to the place where we end up saying, all I can be is me. The, the real me, that's all that we can live up to. And here's, here's the good news, is that even though we all want to be in real relationships, you don't have to have a perfect profile. You, you don't have to live up to this perfect image of who you believe will be accepted by those around you. In fact, the biblical qualification for having a real relationship is not having it all together. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. It is page 2. If you're opening one of those blue Bibles, no matter what venue you're in, you do need a copy of the Scriptures open. If you don't own a Bible, please let me know. Jen and I would love to buy you your very own Bible. Uh, We would love to do that. It would be a great gift for us to be able to give to you. But you need a copy of the Scriptures open. You also need the sermon notes because there's going to be verses we're going to reference and uh, things on the sermon notes that are not going to come up on the screen. So obviously we're continuing our series where we're going back to the beginning, where we're going back to Genesis, talking about God's purpose, God's design, God's intentions. Because when we can go back to those things that God intended God and start living out God's purpose, things seem to go better for us. Uh, when we fall in line and align ourselves with God's purposes, uh, it seems to work out that way because he created the earth and created you and me for a purpose. And so I told you the last two weeks we were going to slow down on the sixth day of creation. Well, we slowed down for two weeks. Now we're going to zoom in on that sixth day of creation, but we're going to talk about it from Genesis chapter 2. Now that brings up the question some people ask, is Genesis 2 a second creation account? Why is Genesis 1 different than Genesis 2? Well, they aren't different. It's just a different 
perspective that Genesis 2 is giving to us. If you'll remember, Genesis 1 just told us that on the sixth day that God created male and female in his image. Do you remember this? We're going to talk more about that later today, but that's, that's all it said. Genesis 2 zooms in on how he created Adam and Eve, the first male and female. So we're just zooming in. And this is zooming in because um, it's talking about what happened to the heavens and the earth. And this is set apart, and this is just important for you to understand all of Genesis, actually. It's zooming in because Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, begins with this uh, Hebrew word that's called a toledot. Toledot is the Hebrew word, but it means generations or, or, or beginnings. What, what happened to? And there's 10 toledotes throughout Genesis that mark these different generations. What happened to this? So that's why Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 starts off, these are the generations or these are the beginnings. This is how it went for the heavens and the earth. Do you see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4? That's how it starts off. So this is important to understand because it's zooming in on what happened to this wonderful uh, creation that God created. And that's really important to understand, one, so you know that the Genesis 1 is not contradictory with Genesis 2. But let me take you back. Remember the audience that Moses is writing to. Let, let's, let's imagine the setting again because this is really important. Remember, Genesis was written by Moses during the wilderness wanderings. We talked about this in week, week one, okay? So if you're sitting there as an Israelite, Moses had just recorded Genesis, and he says, okay, everybody, sit down. I'm going to read you what God told me to record, okay? Because Moses wasn't there in Genesis 1, okay? So he sits you down, and he goes through these wonderful days of creation, this wonderful part where, oh my gosh, this sounds so incredible. This sounds so lush. And then God said, we're going to create male and female in our image. And everything is so good. Every day ends with, it is good. Everything is so good that God even takes a rest. He says, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cease. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back because it's complete. It's perfect. It's whole. It's exactly as I intended it to be. You're hearing that, and you're looking around, and you're going, are you serious? What happened? You're, you're in, remember, you're an Israelite right now in the wilderness. You're looking around going, where is this garden? This is desert. And not only is it not lush, not only are there not all of these wonderful plants and animals running around, but you just said that God created male, female in their image, that they have equal dignity, equal respect, equal value, yet we've just spent hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. That doesn't sound like the relationship that you created, God. What happened? And he goes, let me tell you, here's what happened? Here's what happened to the heavens and the earth. This wonderful thing that God created. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. That's the toledote. That's the here's what happened to the heavens and the earth. That's why he's going to zoom in. Because 
what happened was we happened. Now, we're not going to get to that uh, today, but instead we're going to zoom in because God is going to tell you what the ideal was when he created uh, male and female, when he created Adam and Eve. And he's going to talk about the real relationships that he expected them to have, not only with one another, but with him. So we're going to go through these real relationships. And here, here's the kicker. Here's what I want you to understand for the whole message. The real relationship means that they don't have it all together. And he, they were created that way at the beginning, which is a wonderful message and a wonderful gift to you and to me to understand that we don't have to have it all together. So I want to go through and I want to explain what that means and what these real relationships look like even in the Garden of Eden. And then I'll give you some applications that will all be about being real. How, how, do I, how can we be real in these kinds of relationships? So we'll break it down uh, together. So let's begin at uh, Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin uh, at, through verses 4 through 17. I'll summarize it. But I want you to see that the first relationship is with God. And you were created to be dependent upon God. You were created to be dependent upon God. So as I told you in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, if, if you'll remember, we talked about this uh, a, a couple of weeks ago on the third Sunday of January the 21st, that you were created in the image of God, separate from any other thing that he created. You were created in his image with a mind to know him, a heart to love him, and a will to obey him. We talked about what it meant to be created in the image of God. But here he's going to go through specifically how he created. And so if you'll look in verse 7, he tells you specifically how he created Adam. He said, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So all of these uh, materials, if you will, that God created ex nihilo, uh, out of nothing, all of these materials are there. And he decides that he's going to take the dust of the earth and form man. He's going to form this, this first man. Now, I do believe Adam and Eve were real people. I think that's because Jesus said they're real people. Um, but that's going into the New Testament. But he goes in and he forms man. Now, the picture that you have, that verb form, uh, is, is referred to a potter. I mean, we even references God as a potter. We are the clay. This is where this comes from. It's this artist that is creating uh, this figure, but there is no life in dirt. There's no life there. And so he has to breathe life into man. Now, there are so many layers when you get to God breathing life into Adam here that we don't have time to go into all of them. But when he breathes life into him, obviously there's a significant connection there. 
And this is where we get our idea of a soul. And the reason why is because when it says that he has the breath of life, the Hebrew word is nefesh. It's where if you go into the Greek, into the New Testament, it's where we get our word uh, psyche or suke, but psyche, psycho, psychology, the soul. That, that's, what, that's what the suke means in the Greek. So this idea of he breathes in and gives this creature a soul, like he hasn't given anything else, this way to connect with God. And, and actually the picture that, that, it, that you probably have in your brain is exactly, I think, what the text is imagining here. And it's like old school CPR. Like, Do, do you guys remember that? Any of you CPR certified? Like you, you had to go through that? Nobody? Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right, some of you, thank you. Hey, I, I, I love talking with you guys, come on. So I, I know they've changed these procedures these days and you don't have, but do, do you guys remember the old school thing where it was like tilt the head back, no, it's first, sorry, listen for breath. Um, you know, the then, you know, tilt the head back, you hold, cover the nose, you open the mouth and you literally mouth to mouth resuscitation. You remember this. That, that's the picture that we have here. Because even this, this word, nefesh, um, it, it means throat or neck area as he breathes in. But it isn't just that he breathes life. It also carries this, this term uh, that deals with that, that mouth or, or throat area that has to deal with thirst, hunger, and appetite, which I just, I love. Again, there's so many layers to this. Which, which means that we are not satisfied until we are connected to God. You, you cannot live apart from him. If, if Adam doesn't have the breath of God, he doesn't come to life. That is clear from this picture. If you don't breathe, you don't have life. I think we can all agree on that one. I won't ask you to raise your hand. If we don't breathe, we don't have life. Where does breath come from? It comes from God. That's, that's the picture here. And it's not just that our life comes from God, but we don't find a satisfaction in life until our hunger, our thirst is satiated through our relationship with God. You were created to crave a relationship with God. Now, we try to fill that with a bunch of different things but you're never going to satiate those thirsts until you find satisfaction in God. You see, we love trying to be self-sufficient in our world. I mean, that is, as crazy as this sounds, isn't that kind of the American dream? That I can live all by myself. I can make life what I want it to be, and I can be independent. I don't have to depend on anybody else. And the truth is you do have to depend on somebody else. You have to depend upon God. You have to depend upon God to live. Life only comes through him. So let's be real. Let's be real and fight against our independence by giving God thanks for all that he has done. Let's fight against our independence by giving thanks to God for all he's done. I think if we will really sit down and be real, we will realize that we don't make our own hearts beat. 
your heart is beating right now. You didn't ask it to. You're not making it. And it could stop. Like, you are dependent upon God. There's something divine that you are not in control of in that way. And I think when we go back, we go, wow, this is, my life is yours, God, and I am dependent upon you. Now, I could have written this uh, application, you know, as just acknowledge that you're dependent upon God and everything. But the reason why I phrased it the way of, hey, give thanks to God is because I think when you give thanks to God for the things that he has done, I think that will help you acknowledge what God has done in your life and ultimately that you're dependent upon him. I mean, just sit for a second and make a list of all the things that you're grateful for in your life. And I know some of you are going through some really tough times and it's amazing how those that are focused on Jesus come up with so many things they're grateful for even when they're going through tough times. But if you just sit down and start going through those things, you will end up to a place where you are grateful for things that you do not control. I, I noticed this. We, we've done this with our boys. Jen and I have done this with our boys sometimes. Periodically, we don't do this all the time. But where we just go around in a circle kind of at, at like dinner time or something at a meal and we say, all right, we're going we're gonna to go around and tell us something you're thankful for. And we just go around one to another and you say, I'm thankful for and I mean, I'll, I'll go, you know, I'm thankful for that, that we have a roof over our head. But I didn't build a house. I didn't do it. And the boys go, I'm, I'm thankful I have a pillow. Yeah, I didn't make the pillow. You know? And I go, I'm thankful that you guys are healthy. I didn't make you healthy. You, you get to a place where you acknowledge that you are dependent upon God. There are things that are outside of your control. You are dependent upon him. And not only are you dependent upon him, you'll never find satisfaction until you connect with him because that's how you were created. You weren't created to have it all together. You weren't created to be independent. You were created to be dependent upon him. And I think that's what's so uh, ironic when you think about how God created um, mankind. And he creates Adam in this way and he puts him in this paradise. And uh, people, uh, you're probably thinking, okay, it lists here in verses 10 to 14, you know, it kind of describes where this paradise is. Cody, where is the Garden of Eden? Well, we don't know. So, I mean, you can go try to figure it out. Now, we know some of the names of the rivers. You know, the Tigris and Euphrates are listed in there. We don't know where those other two rivers are. So it sounds like it's close to the Persian Gulf somewhere over there because of the Tigris and Euphrates. But because we don't know where those two other rivers are, I think those other two rivers were the Trinity and the Brazos. And it was, you know, really close to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but we don't, we don't know where, where that was or where that is, but God creates Adam and he puts him in this garden. Now, in, in Christianese, American evangelicalism, does that not sound perfect? That sounds perfect. I, it, it's me and it's God. I'm dependent upon him. I have everything, everything is right in the world. And Moses goes on and he's reading this to the Israelites. And as 
You just heard in Genesis chapter one, everything is good, everything is good, everything is good. You get to verse 18. Look at what it says in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. I mean, you, you talk about pulling the e-brake. I mean, everything comes to a screeching halt if you were listening to this rhythm of Genesis chapter 1. And then you get this paradise that you would go, that sounds amazing. And God says, yeah, it's not good. It's not good for you to be alone. See, the reason why it's not good for you to be alone is because you were created to be complemented in community. You were created to be complemented in community. Now, the first thing I need to do is explain the difference between complement with an I and complement with an E, okay? Complement with an I means somebody who tells you something nice uh, uh, about, about you. They give you a compliment or they compliment something that you've done or something about you. Compliment with an E, which is what is here, means that they have added to, they have uh, supplemented and even to one sense completed you. That, that, that's the idea of the, the compliment within, with an E. And that's exactly what is going on here. You see, Adam wasn't created to be all by himself. He wasn't created to be independent. And that's why he says, I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. And if you go on and you continue to read in the passage, what he does is he parades all of the animals in front of Adam. He says, it's not good that you're going to be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable for you. And then he parades the giraffe in front of him. And Adam's like, yeah, cool. You know, he, he parades, you know, the, the rhinoceros in front of him. Yeah, all right. And he parades the dog in front of him. He goes, that could be my best friend. And God says, no. No. That's not going to compliment you the way that I created you to be complimented. And so here's what happens in verse 21. Look at it with me. In verse 21 so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You see, when, when God talks about this helper suitable, he, it automatically implies that Adam has some sort of deficiency, right? Adam, why does he need help unless he's deficient in some way? Well, he certainly cannot fulfill the creation mandate that we just talked about last week, certainly can't fulfill that all by himself. How can he be fruitful and multiply? Can't do that alone can't have dominion and subdue all the earth. He needs a helper. He needs somebody that can come alongside and help him. And so he says, I'm gonna create a suitable, uh, a, a helper suitable or fit for, which means similar in likeness, kindness, and even carries the imagery of a mirror image. 
someone, someone like me, just like me. And so he creates woman. Now, I want to key in on this very quickly here, that uh, when he creates woman as a helper, it doesn't mean that Eve was only supposed to help Adam with all his uh, home projects. Okay? They are both created to help one another. Eve is, is not in any way inferior to Adam. And I think that's very key even in how she is created. I love what one commentator said. He said, God did not take Eve from the head to be his superior or from his foot to be his inferior, but he took her from his side to be equal with him. I, I, I love that, that quote because it's we need each other to help fulfill God's purpose in this world. Now, certainly, Adam and Eve are different. God created them differently, and men and women are different. And he created us differently because we need each other. He didn't create two men in the garden because he didn't need somebody just like him. He needed somebody different than him, and he didn't create just two women because they needed somebody different than them. He created a man and a woman to complement and help one another. That's what's going on here. We, we complement, we help one another. Now, certainly, this is a picture of the first uh, marriage, but this goes beyond. This idea of being in community and complementing one another is reinforced throughout Scripture. Because I think the point is that none of us are meant to be alone. It's not good for any of us to be isolated and by ourselves. That's why scripture continues to push us back into community with one another. You see, it doesn't make anyone more male or more female to be married. You are created male and female in the image of God, but also created to be in community with one another. So let me break that down uh, very quickly. These are on your sermon notes, the benefits of community, why God says it's not good for you to be alone. Now, I know in some of these, I'm going to skip ahead toward post-sin, which is not here in Genesis 2, but just go with me here. Uh, first, community gives us a greater purpose beyond personal satisfaction. It gives us a greater purpose beyond personal satisfaction. If we were created in the image of God, why did he not just leave Adam by himself? Because God in the three persons is a part of community. The triune God, three in one, and we talked about that in the dignity of God. But also, God is a helper. In fact, that word helper that is used of Eve is used 21 times throughout the Old Testament. 15 of those times, it talks about, it uses, God is the subject. God is the one who is the helper. It's a, it's a divine help. And that's why God provides community into us because you aren't just created to be satisfied in this world. You're created to help other people too. That gives you a greater purpose. And when we are just focused, some of the most miserable people that I've ever met in this world are only focused on themselves. And you can attest to that, I know. Some of the happiest people are focused on helping others. 
It's an observation. I think that's because we are created to have a purpose beyond personal satisfaction. Second, community points out sinful blind spots in love. Points out these sinful blind spots in love. And I said sinful because of the verse, Hebrews uh, 3.13. You can go look it up later. But community just helps us, helps point out blind spots, period. Um, and and, and I, I need that. I know that I have blind spots. In fact, when, just so you know, um, every Tuesday, uh, we have a, a team. There's, there's five of us. Uh, I'm, I'm one of them. Two other males and two other females on our staff. We go through the outline of this message so that I can get other people's perspectives or whoever is preaching can get other people's perspective. Male, female, young, old. We can get other people's perspectives to go, hey, have you thought about it this way, Cody? Or if you say it that way, here's how it's going to sound. Oh, didn't know that. I mean, I, met, I also, for this particular message, met with our women's minister, Missy Denman, just to talk about how, how do you see this passage? Point, point these things out. We all have blind spots, and that's why we need community to come around us and go, hey, have you seen it this way? Maybe, maybe if, you, if you said it differently, it would be this way, or just point out any of those blind spots. A third, community inspires us to persevere in our faith. Community inspires us to persevere in our faith. Just remember, uh, you've told, if, you, if you have kids, you've told them this plenty of times, uh, you become who you hang around. That doesn't change like when you turn 18 or 21 or anything like that. Um, you are who you hang around. Uh, I need to continue to go faster. Uh, finally, community uh, supports us when we fall on hard times. That Ecclesiastes verse uh, two are better than one because when one falls down, the other can pick them up. Uh, we're around one another so we can help each other even when we go through hard times. So let's be real. Be real and fight your self-sufficiency by opening up to others. Be real and fight your self-sufficiency by opening up to others. And I mean that opening up in two different ways. Uh, first, would you open yourself up to someone else's perspective or point of view? You might not have cornered the market on point of view. Maybe. Theory. Maybe open yourself up to, what is somebody else's perspective on this? Second way to open up. Open up on what you really need. Would you tell somebody this week, I need help with fill in the blank? I'll admit, that is a really hard thing for me personally to say. I, I want, I, my sinful flesh doesn't want to be dependent upon anybody. I don't, I don't want to ask for help. I want, I want you to think I've got it all together, and guess what? I don't. I need help. I need, I need a lot of help. And I think sometimes we need to, t- because not only does that help us, learn to receive a bit because we've got to receive grace. We've got to receive propitiation for our sins. We've got to receive mercy from God. All of those things that helps us learn how to receive a little bit. But guess what? That also blesses someone else when they get to help. And you enjoy helping other people. So let somebody uh, help you. Uh, One of the things, uh, lesson from the McQueen home, um, one of the things that I talk with the boys about a lot are these three little words, and I know you think you know what those three little words are. 
Um, unfortunately, they're not I love you. Although I think my boys know that I love them very much. But as we're, we talk through different man lessons, there are three words that we talk about all the time. Figure it out. They, they know those three words very well. And we had a great conversation the other day because I was, I, I want them to learn how to do some things by themselves. But we had a great conversation the other day where we talked about how sometimes, I was specifically talking to Hayes, our younger one. I said, sometimes, Hayes, figure it out means ask for help. Sometimes it does mean ask for help. That's the best way to figure it out. And sometimes you need to go, I just need help. That's the best way to figure it out is to open up to somebody and say, here's where I need you. And that's okay because you were created to need other people. You don't have to figure it out. He figured it out in the beginning. So open yourself up and ask for help. And finally, you were created to be one with your spouse. You were created to be one with your spouse. I know this doesn't uh, apply to everyone, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. I'm really excited about next week. Next week is going to be a campus preaching week. So uh, you're all going to hear from your campus pastors uh, specifically about uh, marriage, and we've got a fun way that we're going to open that up. You're going to hear from uh, the campus pastor and their wives, uh, so it's going to be good. You're going to enjoy it. So we're going to spend a lot more time on marriage next week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it here. Uh, But if you go to the end of verse 24 and 25, after uh, Adam says, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, um, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were without, uh, and they were not ashamed. Uh, This helper, they... you are, are married to complement one another in that particular way, to be uh, unashamed, to be, to be vulnerable with one another, to be at ease. That's, that's what that, that means. Uh, your spouse is not there for your personal satisfaction. You are in that relationship to be a helper, to grow in all that God intends uh, in those particular ways. So be real and fight your selfishness by nurturing your spouse as your own flesh. Uh, this is, points to the oneness idea. And even in Ephesians 5, uh, specifically it talks to husbands. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And who would neglect their own body? Why, why does he use that analogy? It's because you are one uh, flesh. So let's be real. You were created for real relationships. And real relationships mean you don't have to have it all together. Real relationships mean that you really need one another, and that's okay. God, we thank you for um, that you created us to not have it all together, but to be dependent upon you, to be in community with one another, Lord God, and to um, experience that oneness in our marriages. But Lord God, we need, we need one another. You put us as a part of the body, We are not self-sufficient. You didn't create us to be that way. Lord God, I ask that you would give us the courage to be vulnerable with you and with the body. Give us the courage to take those risks and to say that we need help, that we need you. 
because I know that you've put those relationships in our lives to complement us and ultimately point us back to you. Thank you for the way that you created us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.